believe it was 1981, we were headed into the bottom floor of the John Hancock building in Chicago. I don't know if you're familiar with the John Hancock. For years, it towered over the Sears Tower. Sears Tower wasn't built yet. But when Sears Tower went up, it went to the number two building as far as height in Chicago. Well, a handful of us were going to the observatory. It's on Chicago's Gold Coast, only a few blocks from Moody. As we walked in, uh, it was evening, early evening, and most of the stores had shut down, but it was like any big city place. It was pretty busy. Uh, wide open spot, lots of escalators going in all directions. And we walked in somewhat obnoxious college students, as college students can be. We were there, and we decided we were going to sing. And I, we just started off, you know, sing, sing a song, make it simple, whatever it is, slash your whole life long, whatever we were singing, I don't know. Uh, I think that was it. And, and lo and behold, everybody started joining us. It was funny, this, there was, there, there was, it wasn't probably about 35 to 50 people, but there was a group of, uh, I think, it looked like Asian tourists, and they jumped in, and they started singing. And the elephant, you had a mom with kids, and the place was internationals all over the place, and so everybody was singing this for just a few minutes. Uh, it was, it was uh, something out of a movie, and even though we were all strangers, for just a moment, it was as if time kind of stopped, it was really etched in my, my mind, and we all felt a camaraderie. It was almost like there's an international language singing, isn't there? Uh, my mom, years ago, uh, my dad had, had passed, and my mom bought herself a karaoke machine a- at night. Nobody's around, but she would go up to her karaoke machine and turn that baby on and pick her, her songs, and she would just start belting them out by herself. Whenever us kids went to visit, my mom still today, it's just a given that in the evening time, we're going to fire up the karaoke machine. You're going to pick your repertoire and go for it. You know, my favorite is Born to be Wild, Steppenwolf, you know. But, but we're not going to do that for you this, this morning. And we would, we would sing. There's just something about singing. It, it's, it's a lot of sociological studies on this. Why do we enjoy this? Why is this uh, something special? But especially when we look at Scripture. Because singing is all over Scripture. Job 38 lets us know that at the creation, the very beginning, the angels sang. It's an interesting thing. The angels sang. As soon as the folk came out of Egypt, they stopped, composed a song, and sang. Right after David had killed Goliath, the people sang. Mary, what happens when she hears the the announcement of Jesus coming? She sings. Zacharias sings. An angel choir stops off. Their audience, a bunch of shepherds, and they give a presentational song. You've got Jesus and his disciples at the end of the Last Supper. The way they close the Last Supper down is they sing a hymn. You've got Paul and Silas in Acts 16. It's midnight, and they're singing in prison. And then you get to Revelation where it talks about the eternal state and singing is one of the primary things that's going on in the eternal state. It's it's fascinating. You know, we've got a letter actually from um, a non-Christian source. The guy's name is Pliny. Now, Pliny was a lawyer working for the Roman government in around 100. Now, this is fascinating when you think about it because Jesus died in around 33. Pliny is, is a lawyer working for the Roman government in about 100 and his uh, challenge, his charge, is to seek out Christians, try them, and then wipe them out. That's his deal. 
And so he wrote several letters back to Rome and back to, to the emperors, Tacitus and Trajan. And we have one of his letters that he wrote to, to Trajan. And in it, he's talking about Christians. Now, this is, again, this is amazing. Think about this. This letter is dated around 100. At this point, Christianity had already grown to such a point that they heard about it over in Rome. And Rome determined that it was a threat and was trying to snuff it out. And so Pliny writes to Trajan, and he says, They, that's the Christians, were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn. That's no doubt the Lord's Day. And sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God. We've got a, a, a secular source stating that the very, very early, early church, music was incorporated in what they did. As a matter of fact, you know, there's, of all the commands in Scripture, the uh, second most commanded practice in Scripture is singing. Number one is prayer, if you're wondering. But number two is singing. Therefore, this is important, if you decide to not embrace uh, congregational singing, worship, you decide you're not going to go there, you are violating more texts. I mean, think of the most heinous sin you can think of other than prayerlessness, which is a heinous sin, but think of whatever else. You are disobeying more scripture by just choosing to not go there. It's, it's fascinating. And so you've got to ask yourself, well, why? Well, I mean, if in fact duplication in scripture demonstrates emphasis by God, something God thinks is important, then you would have to say that God thinks singing is very, very, very important. And again, you ask, well, why? It doesn't seem that big of a deal to me. What we want to look at for just, just a few minutes this morning, so we want to look at a text that probably is the most clear call to congregational singing any other text in the New Testament. If you got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians, fascinating book, fascinating book. Listen, by the way, let me throw this out. This is kind of a commercial. Uh, I believe that uh, Justin Beam's class, I forgot what they call themselves, Word of Truth, or is that right? Word of Life, all right. Next hour, they meet in the choir room. They just started a series where they're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. If you're interested in the doctrine of the church, the theology of the church, this is it. Some controversial stuff, and this is going to be some controversial doctrine in there. I encourage you to head to the choir room next hour. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 15. We're really going to dig down on verses 18 and 19, but let's start in 15 because we want to get a little more of the context. Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Here it is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Here's the results of being filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, we're going to focus in just a moment and find, find four uh, observations. Not major stuff, but just reminders of, of why music and what music is in church, why it's significant. But just let me point out a couple things based on the text. In verse 15, uh, just, this is kind of like background stuff. 
Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. How many of y'all are just incredibly efficient people? Very, very efficient people. Wasting time took you off, make you angry. Paul was like that. Don't waste time. Paul was very, very, very efficient. Now this guy who's very, very, very efficient says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. There is a perspective sometimes that our singing time is pretty much necessary evil maybe kind of a waste of time you know, we could be doing stuff we could really be getting somewhere we could make make some major inroads on some things and I guess we need to go through those preliminary things Paul who's a, a master of efficiency says be very wise singing is very wise a very wise person We'll make sure it's on their agenda. But Paul goes a step further. It's not just wise. It's the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? He says, he says, says, don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. And he's going to tell you, what is God's will? Well, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms of spirit. You want to know what the will of God is about A, B, C? We all, and it's hard to figure those out sometimes, but this is something straight up. You want to know what the will of God is? It's to sing. He says it right there. And if we're not interested in what he's very made, made very clear is his will, I don't know if we can expect him to give us a whole lot of clarity, direction on other things that may be a little bit more ambiguous. So he says, hey, it's, it's wise. It's God's will. And then we want to make just a couple more observations on this. First of all, and that is that singing is an evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is, is important because in our day, you know, we get, we get confused, don't we, on this idea of, of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you watch TV and you're, you're trying to figure this out and you're talking about, and you know, there's a lot of thoughts about what this looks like. You know, what are the manifestations of being filled? Well, you got some supernatural stuff happening, you got some mystical stuff happening, you got some out of the box type stuff happening. These are the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is going to let us know what the evidences are. And first, key evidence, this is just a little bit off for a second, but the key evidence is Galatians chapter 5. Right? 22 and 23. He says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the evidence of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You want evidence of the Holy Spirit? This is very important. If you've had a wild experience and you had some some wild supernatural things going on and you've had special words and you had special dreams and you had special feelings and health wealth is going on and and all those things are fine, okay, not speaking necessarily against those things per se, but if you had all those things but you don't have the fruit of the Spirit evidenced in your life, whatever this other stuff was, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Paul says you want the evidence of the Holy Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. And here in Ephesians, he's going to give us a few more things. He says, be, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But what's the evidence of that? He lists five participles. And let me give them to you. If you've got a pen, you can circle these things because it, they don't, they, English translation kind of hides it. But speaking to one another in Psalms and hymns, it's one. Singing, that's the second one. Making music is the third one. Um, giving thanks is the fourth one, and the fifth one's in verse 21, submitting to one another. It's interesting, those five participles, 
Three of them directly deal with music. Three of them directly deal. Paul says, you want an evidence that you have the Holy Spirit? Let me give it to you. It's singing. It's singing. That's kind of an amazing thing, isn't it? It's kind of an interesting uh, deal that, that Paul puts on the table for us. But it's important that we understand that it is, it, it's what Paul's saying is it's not like regular singing, because we can sing regular songs without the Holy Spirit. You can sing songs about love without the Holy Spirit, can't you? You can sing songs about John Denverish stuff about nature without the Holy Spirit, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Can you sing songs about Jesus and the church without the Holy Spirit? Yes! But the degree that Paul's talking about here, the category of music that Paul's talking about here, is that which is fueled by the Holy Spirit. It's not a song that originates with your vocal cords. It's a song that originates with your heart. You are so desiring Him. You are so desperate for Him. You're so thankful for Him. You are so saddened over your, your sin that you have to let it out. You have to, have to sing. So it's, it's an evidence of the Holy Spirit. There's a second aspect of this, though. That is that singing is both horizontal... It's both horizontal and it's vertical. Very, 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 very important. Because we think sometimes that we just have to sing to God. That's what it's for, right? But look at the text. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Athanasius was a 4th century church father. And Athanasius was thinking hard about this whole thing and singing. He saw that was God made a big emphasis on it. And he couldn't figure out exactly why, so he's dwelling on this. Uh, you, you know, today, if you were to ask in any sociological study, primary reason why we sing, number one answer is to express ourselves. Athanasius says, no, 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 no. That's a good answer. That's number two. But the first answer is not, is not expression, it's impression. The, the reason why we sing is, is not to have things come out. It's to bring things in. And he would ask, why do you read the Bible? Why do you meditate on Scripture? Why do you memorize it? Well, this is why you do, because you take the inspired words of God and you, you, you chew on them for a while. You soak on them. You, you, you let them engross who you are. Because if you do, it's not just a quick thingy with your, with your vocal cords. It gets into your heart and your mind. It, what happens is it, it makes its way into your values. And it slowly starts altering your, your language and, and where you want to go and what you want to do and ultimately your actions. And Athanasius would say that if we take words that are uh, reflective of biblical principles, that sometimes are verbatim quotes from Scripture, and we put our words to them, we make them our words. And we sing them. What happens, what's going on, is it's getting into us farther. I mean, how many times have you been having a rough week and you're having a rough time, and you come and you start singing a song of commitment, I surrender all. And you're going, yeah, that, that's right. That's I do. That's I forgot about that. But that's right. That's where I am. Or you, you start thinking through things that you had forgot of this past week. And, and oh, yeah, uh, Jesus really is the cornerstone. That's right. And I can bless you even though the wheels fall off. That's right. And I'm going to do it. And so as we sing, you know what? We are singing to each other. How many times have I sat right over here and y'all have been teaching me theology, me reminding me of theology, of some of the things that we're singing. I'm going, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Um, I was uh, sick, very sick. They weren't sure what was going on. 
I've shared this a little bit, but what I, I didn't share is when things were really looking bad, uh, I found a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Sometimes he comes in the clouds. Right? You're familiar with this song. It says, sometimes he comes in the clouds. Sometimes his face can't be found. Sometimes the skies are dark and gray. But some things can only be known. And our faith can only grow when we don't see him. That's why he comes in the clouds. And I remember playing that song over and over and over as I sat in front of our stereo, just tears coming down my face as I listened to that. That's right. That's right. He's here even in this. That's right. He's, how many of us have come on a Sunday morning? Wheels coming off and we're just down. And suddenly we start singing, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And we're saying, yes, that's right. That's right. I mean, I would, I would, how many of us have sung that with tears coming down our face? Oh, my goodness. And the modern equivalent, bless, bless, the modern equivalent is blessed be your name, right? When I'm found in the desert place, uh, th- though there's pain in the offering, still I'm going to say, blessed be your name. And we're speaking to each other. We're reminding each other of these, these truths, these incredible truths of, of Scripture. Uh, singing is, is a horizontal Activity, We teach each other. We remind ourselves of what that is. Um, there's a quote by, get this, this is by Martin Luther. And Luther said this. Luther said, if you want to comfort the sad and terrify the happy and encourage the despairing and humble the proud and pacify the aggressive, there is no more effective means than singing. Is that true? My, my goodness, there are times you need comfort and you come and we sing and I'm comforted. There are times when I come, I, mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been here and we're singing a song of commitment, I surrender all. And as you're singing the words, for me, you've got to stop. It says, oh God, oh God, I want this to be true. Please, would you help this to be true for me? Or how many times you've been singing, me, and the Holy Spirit convicts and you're going, Lord, I've got to to back up. I can't say that right now. I want to say that. Would you forgive me? Singing is first. Horizontal. Don't you wonder, maybe that's why God wants us. He knows that as we sing his truths, as we sing with the rhythm and intonation and tone, and it elevates it above regular speech. It's not just like us reading a covenant somewhere. It takes it to a different level. And as we sing, it goes not just into our head, it goes into the deep recesses. We, one of the reasons why wacky songs are, are funny, uh, why they're wacky, is because we don't expect wacky stuff in music. Because when we, when we are really serious, right, what we sing about is what is most important to us. There's a reason why love songs are the primary genre of music. Because that which is most dear to us ends up in music. And so when God's saying, when you stop and you put my word and my praises into your own, own music, it drives it deep. It drives it deep. It makes you. It shapes you. Athanasius would say that singing is a primary spiritual discipline. I know what spiritual disciplines are, right? It's those things that we can do to help our faith grow. Fasting, prayer, Bible study, Athanasius would add to that, singing. 
and something that we do to help our faith grow. I hope that this isn't the only time we, we, we're singing, that we really enter into a, a uh, verbal singing praise to who our God is. But this needs to be like an overflow of our, of our private time. But singing is also vertical. It's not just horizontal, right? It's, it's got a vertical side to it as well. Um, oh, jumped it too much. But if you look, what is it? Verse, yeah, the second part of verse 19. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. One point he says, okay, I want you to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then I want you to, to sing, make music in your heart to the Lord. There is a, certainly a vertical element, right? When we come, and that's why in our music, if you listen to our music, some of it we're encouraging each other, crown him with many crowns. Some of it we're encouraging, come, let's sing. Sometimes we are directing it specifically to him, where we are praising. And we think often that praising is, um, this is what we think of as worship. And certainly, it, it, is, it is a part of worship. Uh, but it goes beyond that. But there are times when we, when we praise God just for what he's done, right? I mean, I was a uh, friend. She sang with a very special singing group. She said that they're, they're, uh, they're pretty good. Their bus was traveling. Their tour bus was traveling through West Virginia, broke down at the top of this hill. And after everyone got done losing their sanctification, they kind of looked out the window, and they could see the mountain grandeur, and they just kind of a hush came. And suddenly they began to sing, Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder... Consider all the works your hands have made. I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder, your power throughout the universe displayed. And then what happens when you see this? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Praise. Uh, What greater thing to praise him about than, than what he's done for us? We went over last week through Jesus. Remember, you know, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. And what, what, do you, what, what, what do you get from that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Or, or when I think of God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. Right. When we think of what he's done for us, we, we praise Psalm 100, I believe it's 103, says, Praise the Lord and forget not his benefits, the things he's given me that, my goodness, I certainly don't deserve and he can take away at any point and he's, I don't know why, but thank you, Lord. They're, they're gifts from him. Um, but as we come to him, worship is vertical. You might say, well, you know, it's not just always sunshine and roses for me. Uh, when we come to him, and we're broken, and we're hurting. And even in our music, we say, oh God, I, I don't know what to do. I need direction. That's worship. When we come before him in our music, and we're confessing, we're saying, oh Lord, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. That's worship. Because we're recognizing his greatness in our fallenness. When, when we come to him with words of, of recommitment, Realigning ourselves with his scripture, that's, that's worship. You know, two of my, my favorite songs, uh, worship songs, and this is just a different f- side of, of worship. It's really de- that declaration of what we believe. We've got because we believe, right? 
We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We are the church, and the church is one. John 17. Um, it says, we believe in the Holy Bible. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the resurrection and that Christ one day will return to earth. I mean, we're just we're t- teaching each other. We're teaching our children. This is what we believe, that great knew him in Christ alone. Incredible, incredible words. Great theology, great doctrine. Worship is, is, comes from the Holy Spirit. It's an evidence of the Holy Spirit. Worship is horizontal and vertical. Then there's more as we look at this. Worship is also... We're, we're kind of jumping around in, these, in this uh, text. But worship is um, oh, both head and heart. Both head and heart. We've talked about this a little bit before. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Uh, Tim Keller gives a, a, a illustration, great illustration. Says there's a gal who had a piece of jewelry her uh, grandma gave her at one point, and it looks like a big old piece of costume jewelry, and just kind of it was the kids played with it. It was missing half the time, and it was all. And then one day, as she 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 was cleaning out something, she found it in a drawer, and she thought, you know what, I'm gonna at least take this thing to the jeweler and let him see it. And she brought it to the jeweler. The guy put his little eye thingy in, and he's looking at it, and blah, blah, blah. He looked up at her, and he started asking her all kinds of questions. Where'd you get this thing? How long have you had it in your possession? Where did it come from? He looked at it some more, and he called in someone from the back room, and they put their eye thing in, and they're looking at it as well. And suddenly this guy's questions begin to get pretty fast, and his voice goes up a couple of, of decibels, and you see the sweat peeing out on his head, and you go, what is go- what's going on with this guy? And then he lets you know that this, this piece of jewelry is a, a, a very rare piece from a, a very significant collection, and it's been missing for 100 years, and, and he recognizes that this piece of jewelry in front of him is worth more than all of the, the, the jewels he has in his store. And he, he's feeling quite animated. And when you realize this, you, this is your thing, you start feeling quite animated as well, don't you? Uh, my goodness. You know, you, you, get a, you can't breathe and it's, it's fantastic. That's what this means when it says, in your heart. It's not mean just quiet place, and there's definitely a place for that, but that's not what this is referring to. What this is referring to is with all of your being with everything you have so that your singing is not just your vocal cords going. It is coming from all of who you are. It's what, all, it's, what it's all about. It has to be from your heart. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Amos, and this, this is interesting, chapter 5. Do we have that up? This is what God thinks about worship when it's just with the vocal cords. He says, away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. When it's just your mouth and it's not your heart, your heart is not devoted and committed to me, don't sing. makes me sick. Isaiah 29, remember this is what the Lord says. These people come near me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Uh, worship is from the heart. Singing comes from the heart. But singing also comes from the head. This is where we'll, where we'll come with that. It says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're going to talk about those three in just a second, real briefly. But just so you know, the psalms there is prob- most probably directly, the book of psalms, most, most probably directly out of the word of God. 
And so our singing ought not to be pure emotionalism type stuff. It's got to be rebooted in deep theology. It comes with not just our heart. It has to incorporate our head as well. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Let me, let me bounce back for just a second. Colossians chapter 3. It says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Sounds a little bit like the Ephesians 5 one, doesn't it? It's a really parallel epistles. And Ephesians 5, if we can jump on to that, where he says in verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine. Let me ask you just a simple question. How do you get drunk on wine? This isn't a trick question. How do you get drunk on wine? You drink it, don't you? And you drink a lot of it. If you want to get drunk on wine, you just got to drink a lot of wine. Now, how do you get filled with the Spirit? Here, this is important. How do you get filled with the Spirit? Looking back at Colossians 3 for a second. Just, just think about these two things. These are parallel passages. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians 3. He says, let the word of Christ, the message of Christ, dwell in you richly. And from that, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see, Paul is equating, or at least getting awful close, this idea of filling this with the Spirit, with being filled with the Word of God. Do you see this? And this makes lots of sense. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. It equates all of this as the Word of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit inspired this. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? This is what you do. According to Paul, I, I believe it's be filled with the Holy Spirit's words. And it's, it's, if you, we, we sometimes want to neglect this and just kind of wait for a, a zap. And we've got the command to be filled. If you could not have some control over it, you would not be commanded. It would just be something maybe God will zap you, maybe he won't zap you. But you've got the command as you fill yourself with the word of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and you're thinking about what the Holy Spirit has said, and you're thinking about the Holy Spirit's directives, and you're letting the Holy Spirit's understanding of the universe kind of control who you are, you know what? You will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You just will be. You will be. And so as we are letting God's Word, the knowledge of His Word, dwell within us, that's when our singing is supposed to come. Our our singing has to be deeply rooted in, in accurate theology. Biblical uh, precepts and concepts. It's got to be a heart thing, but it's got to be a head thing. John Ortberg wrote something on this because a lot of folk can either go heart, head. A lot of churches can go heart or head. This is what uh, Ortberg wrote. He said, some churches specialize in generating emotion. The platform people are experts at moving the worshiper to laughter or tears. Attenders gradually learn to evaluate the service in terms of the emotion they feel. In time, however, the law of diminishing returns sets in. Prayers are offered in highly emotive style and bathed in background music. Stories have to get more dramatic and more sentimental to keep people having the intense emotional experience. He says, this kind of worship is often shallow, artificial, and rarely effective. This is scarecrow worship, if they only had a brain. He says, but then, there are some churches that are very conscious about focusing on cognitive correctness. These churches have beautiful liturgies, recite ancient creeds, and distribute reams of exegetical material. But the heart is not seized by the wonder and passion that characterize those who fall on their knees before a living God. 
People judge these services by the new thing that they might have learned. This type of worship is tin man worship. If they only had a heart, right? I love that. Uh, We need not fall into either category. We can have them both. We can have a brain and a heart. Matter of fact, that's what he would call us to do because worship incorporates both, singing incorporates the heart and the head. It's both horizontal and vertical. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, And it is varied. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I can't find a commentator that is willing to put his neck on the line and make definitive differences between these words. Uh, we just don't know enough. It seems like, and this is some of the nuances that, that I got, Psalms truly does refer to coming some, bringing something directly over from the Psalms. Um, uh, hymns refers to something maybe still formal, but more uh, come, came up with by meditating on the Word of God. And spiritual songs seem more spontaneous and informal, uh, but still, uh, God puts a stamp of approval on it. If you look at Psalm 150, this is interesting. The last song in the Psalter. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. I used to play trumpet, love that. Praise him with the harp and with the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, he's not trying to give us a list of, of instruments that are, are clean, that work, and, and neglecting those instruments that are not clean, that don't work. I think all of us would find instruments on that unclean list that we kind of wish were on the clean list. Also, as we look at this, we might see things that, you know what? I, I mean, personally, some of y'all, we're different backgrounds, I know, but I struggle with the dancing thing. It's like, oh, that makes me a little nervous. But he says, you know, what do you, what do, you do? What he's saying it's not trying to limit worship, but basically just the opposite. He's saying, whatever, whatever you have, incorporate that into the worship of our God because he is over all. He's, he's above all. Now, this is important because he seems to approve psalms, hymns, spiritual songs of a variety in worship. We need to be real careful. I need to be real careful when we look at what other people are, are worshiping. Uh, John chapter 12. I just think this is fascinating. Let me just, I don't have this on the screen, so just listen to this for a second if you don't have your, your word. John chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because it was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Now, a couple of things. Notice that Mary uh, takes this pint of perfume, according to Judas, was worth a year's wages. I don't know if it was, I don't know if you can trust Judas, but it was maybe. What's a year's wages? This thing's pretty costly. 
and she pours it on Jesus' feet. And then she wipes it with her hair. She's breaking all kinds of protocols. She put it on his head, and it shouldn't be a woman doing it anyway, and you should not put your hair down. But she's doing incredible humiliation on Mary's part. Judas looks at this, and what's he thinking? <sighs> Clueless woman. I can't believe what a stupid thing to do. I mean, what a dumb thing. Just raw emotionalism. Raw sentimentality. Look, she's, she's, she's not pragmatic at all. I mean, Judas benefited not. But of course, Mary didn't benefit, nor did Jesus. Nobody. The poor didn't benefit. Look at the waist here. Jesus, though, kind of liked it, didn't he? He said, hey, this is between she and I. And where I'm coming from, this is good. This is good. When we look at how other people worship... We just want to be careful that we don't fall into the Judas camp. We say, these guys are just worshiping tradition. Got their old stuffy thing and they're singing it. They're like, they're like, they're really interested in this, but it's just worshiping tradition. It's empty. Well, maybe Jesus would say, hey, between them and myself. I mean, you might not like it, but it's not for you. It's for me. And I'm telling you, they're pouring perfume on my feet. They're humbling themselves before me. Deep, deep worship is happening. We've got to be careful. We don't fall in the Judas camp. We don't say, oh, those folk over there, that's a loud, sounds like a rock band. Can't, that's not real worship, and that's just raw emotion. They've got the hands and the waving, they're dancing. It's just, you know what? It's just pure sentimentality. It's just pure emotion, and it's, 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 it has nothing to do with worthy worshiping God. Jesus might say, well, hey, 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 hey. This is between them and I. You know, we, they, they're pouring perfume on my feet. They're humbling themselves before me. You know, it's not for you. You might not like it, but that's okay. It's not for you. It's for me. We want to be careful. That, that God says that his worship can be varied. And we just want to be real. Unless it's violating scripture, we just got to be real careful that we are, are not fall into Judas's camp. You know, this whole worship war thing is fascinating because it's really not a, a, a modern-day phenomenon. Uh, Mark Knoll, he's a uh, church historian out of, out of Wheaton. He says, he says this, let me read this for you. This is uh, interesting. He says, one of the most notable but least studied aspects of the 18th century revivals that led to the rise of modern evangelicalism was the disputed place of hymn singing. In his very first report on the unusual religious stirrings in Northampton, Massachusetts, from 1736, the revival of First Great Awakening broke out, Jonathan Edwards noted that although his congregation had already learned the era's new style of singing, three parts of music and the women apart by themselves, the revival had worked an extraordinary extraordinary musical effect. And this is what uh, Edwards says, Our public praises were greatly enlivened. And God was served in our psalmody as in the beauty of holiness. There was, a, there was scarce any part of divine worship wherein God's saints among us had grace so drawn forth and their hearts lifted up as in the singing of praises to God. Yet soon, the fervor of hymn singing, as well as what the newly revived were singing, came under fire. Not only were critics upset with what Edwards, in a later work defending the revivals, described as abounding in much singing in religious meetings. Critics were also complaining that the revived congregations were singing, quote, hymns of human composure, unquote. 
that is, hymns newly written by contemporaries, rather than hymns paraphrased directly from the Psalms, which was then the only kind of hymnody widely accepted in most English-speaking Protestant churches. You see what he's saying? There was a day when the only worship singing was straight from the Psalms. And they paraphrased the Psalms, and they put them in, into English, and maybe they rhymed them a little bit, but, but that was it. And then somebody got the idea that they would write to music their own experiences with the Lord, their own understanding of, of uh, the gospel, and hymns. And when the hymns made their way into the church, what happened to the old guard here? The old guard got, got upset because we were singing inspired words of God, and now we're bringing this stuff in. You know, the church is going to hell and basket. What's going on? Now, Jonathan Edwards was interesting here. He embraced it. As long as the music was doctrinally and theologically correct, he didn't uh, uh, object. This idea of music being varied is probably the hardest thing in, I'll speak for myself, my own heart, but having teenage kids, I've learned to move on this a little bit. But as we grow, I have a feeling there'll be a day where something else will come out in the church and I'll be going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I need to come back to Ephesians 5 often. I need to look at what they're doing compared to Scripture, what they're saying, to see whether or not it's doctrinally acceptable. Then I need to recognize that, you know what, maybe they're pouring perfume on Jesus' feet here. Maybe he is very fine with the worship that's being given to him. And I need to be fine with that as well.